All right. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is a full service. Uh, I'm going to do a double-length sermon just to keep the theme going. You guys all want, like, you guys want to learn more about God, right? So if we do two sermons back-to-back, it'll be great, right? No. But it is interesting on Sundays like this. I'm so thankful for the team. I'm thankful that I'm not the only pastor on staff here that Grant can do half the talking this morning. I'm thankful for the worship team that did an amazing job through the complexities of worship and communion. I'm thankful for the volunteers that are also becoming members so they weren't even in the room. They were downstairs serving with the kids. It's, it's, a, cool, it's a cool thing to be a church where we all get to be a part of it. And I'll throw in a plug that if you are like, I want to be more of a part of it, and I don't know how, go to our website, cedarvalley.ca, hit the serve button, and uh, we, can get, we can get you involved. Trust me, we can get you involved. Anyways, that being said, if you haven't met me yet, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we're continuing a series called I Need. Last week, Chad spoke on I Need to Trust. Um, this week, I'm going to be talking about I Need to Pay Rent. Um, it's a message on our hearts and money, because the two things go together really closely, our hearts and money. And it's, it's interesting. I have a friend, one of my really good friends growing up, and I never expected this was going to happen to him. His dad worked in financial management, or like financial planning, and he like was like, I'm going to, like he drove trucks and did crazy stuff. And so he was like, became a welder. And then after he got tired of being a welder, he became a financial planner. So while we're chatting, I'm like, okay, what's it like doing financial planning? He's like, I thought my job was to help people manage money. But what you find really quickly as a financial planner is your job isn't to manage money. That part's really easy. What you are actually doing is you're helping people manage their emotions. You're helping people manage their hearts. Because what happens and what goes wrong with our money is what's going wrong inside of our hearts. And when our money starts functioning properly, it has to do with our emotions and our hearts being in line with the resources we have. But I'm guessing most of us at some point have been in a situation where you know the life that you need to live, not the life you want to live, just the life you need to live, what you need to just live life, doesn't line up with the money in your bank account. Where you go, I remember right after I got married, uh, I was still a student, and I was like, okay, Morgan, so do you want to marry me while I, will, like, I am not financially stable? Um, you're going to be the breadwinner. I'm going to do school and an internship and work part-time, and you go earn the big bucks being a paramedic. And she was crazy and said, yes, uh, I married up financially. Anyways, all that being said, I remember going to the, the gas station, and the stress of trying to remember how much exactly was in our bank account because it's like, how much are you authorizing to fill up and be like, okay, do we have $60 or $80? Like, and have to, sometimes guessing wrong and have to like reset. And there's different times in our lives where we know the needs that we have and we're like, but, is, but do we have enough? Whether it's that you've thought, I need to pay rent and I don't know if the money's gonna be there. Or I need to pay tuition, I don't know if the money's gonna be there. I need to fix my car, I don't know if the money's gonna be there. I need to do this for my kids or my grandkids, I don't know if the money's gonna be there. And we run into need when it comes to money. And we start to worry. When you have a need and you don't know what, how it's gonna be met, you start to worry. 
Uh, one of the places that this happens that's not money is at work. When you have a need and you don't know how it's going to be met, you start to worry. Because um, you know when you're trying to get a job and you work so hard and you apply for a job and then you're excited that you got the job. You know that moment when you're excited to get a job? Can you remember like that feeling where you're like, yes, I got the job. And you tell everybody, I got the job. And if you're anything like me, it lasts for about two seconds. And then you start to worry about, oh no, I got the job. Now I have to figure out if I can do the job. Right? It's like, I need to be able to actually do this job that they think that I can do, right? And I remember at one point, I, um, I got a job, and I'll be honest, I wasn't that excited when I got the job, but I needed a job. I needed to make rent. And so I got a job working for Amazon, driving a delivery van. And I had about half a second where I was like, Morgan, I got the job. Yeah, I got the job. Uh, what did I just sign up for? And it's not a big deal. It's just driving a delivery van for Amazon. Like, it's not a big fancy job. Like, really? But then I started to worry. I started to think about, oh man, I've never, I always thought that was an easy job, but like, how do you know what order to stack the boxes in your van so you're not just like digging through the van for an hour looking for the boxes? What if, what if something happens to the van? Like, do they just fire you if you crash the van? Like, if somebody, like, like what do you do if something happens to the van? What if you get stuck in the snow? Because I got hired right as it was starting to snow. Um, like, I just started to have all these worries. What if I don't deliver the packages fast enough? I started to worry. And then, so finally, I like had three weeks before I got to my actual first day. I did the training where they gave me a lot of information, but I'm just as confused as, like, you know those trains where you do it and you're like, I still feel just as confused as when I, before I did the training. So I walk in for my first day into this big warehouse and I'm looking around. It takes me a second to figure out where the dispatch desk is. But once I, but I find my way over to the dispatch desk and they hand me a bag, like a little, like just a little bag and it has a number on it and it has a phone in it and a couple other supplies. They're like, oh, that's the number for your van. And on the bag, there's a number. I'm like, okay, number 16, van number 16. So I walk out into the warehouse and I see van number 16 I walk over. And I turn on the phone and the phone says, okay, now you walk around the van and you do this inspection. And as I'm doing this, I'm stressed about like, okay, but what do I do after that? But I'm like, all right, I'll do the inspection. So I go around, I do the inspection. I get in the van, my phone says, okay, at this time, go and drive and get in the line to drive around. I'm like, okay. But once I go through the line, like, to load up the packages into the van, like, where do I go to get the packages? And I'm worrying. I'm a little worried. And, but then I find myself in this line of, like, 30 vans, and I'm like, I better not mess this up. Like, you know when you're, like, in a big line of cars, and you're like, I better not mess this up? And I pull up the loading area and there's like 40 vans and we're that's like this is gonna be chaos but it says okay go and then my phone says where to go and my whole day was like this I got home at the end of the day and I was like this was the least stressful day of work I've had probably ever because every time I had a need I was like what do I need to do the next thing my phone just popped up and gave me a direction it was crazy like for all the things you can say about working for Amazon you're like these guys have my back. Like, have you ever had that job where you walk in every day and you're a little worried about, yeah, my job's to be a carpenter, but is my boss bought, you know, like 
you know, screws and nails so I can actually attach pieces of wood together? Or did they forget to actually get supplies for me to do my job? We always run into this worry where we're like, when we look at the future and we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't know if we have what we need to do it. Like if you're in school, or maybe it was a long time since you've been in school, but you have to think back. But when you're in school, you're sitting in class and there's a test the next day. And you sit there and you wonder, is my teacher telling me what I need to know to be able to actually pass the test tomorrow? Also, if you think too long, you start to go, is my teacher telling me what I need to know so I can actually get a good job and have a career in the future? Or am I getting a useless degree? I don't know. And worry pops up all over our lives. When you're raising kids, you're always worried about, am I actually teaching them and raising them so that they'll be successful when they become an adult? Or are they going to turn 18 and go off the rails? I don't know. We start to worry about, am I providing what they need? Maybe, can you imagine like, can you imagine a bird waking up in the morning and before they fly out of their nest, they wake up in the morning, they're like, man, I need some seeds, I need some worms. I wonder if there's gonna be any seeds or worms this morning. I wonder if they're gonna show up because birds don't do any work on actually like, you know, planting trees that grow seeds. I don't think they have worm farms. They just wake up in the morning, they're like, they could be like so worried of, I wonder if there's gonna be enough worms today. You imagine a flower wakes up in the morning and they look at the sky and they're like, I wonder if we're gonna get enough sun today. I wonder if we're gonna get enough rain this week. Literally a flower could just be a stress case of worry, wondering if they're gonna get what they need. And we humans live far more complex lives and so there's always more things we can worry about. Once we resolve one worry, there's another worry that pops up. Once we're done worrying about our marriage, we worry about our kids. Once we're done worrying about our kids, we worry about our education. Once we're done worrying about our education, we worry about our career. Once we're done worrying about that, we start worrying about our Christmas decorations. Actually, I never worry about that. But underlying it, I think we start to realize as humans that we have a feel that we we're created for something. We exist to do something. Psychologically, when we start to feel like we don't have any purpose in life, we start to fall apart. Because humans were created with this need to feel purpose and go, we are created to do something. And that's great, but then we're filled with worry all the time of, can I do what I'm created to do? Will I have what I need? So we're going to look at that this morning. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is preaching a very long sermon. It probably took a full day because it goes through chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he was preaching on the side of a mountain. Very descriptive. Um, but he's preaching a sermon. And he speaks really directly into worry. Here's what he says, starting at verse 20, uh, 25 here. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Just don't worry about it. Have you ever had a friend that just said don't worry about it all the time? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Have you ever had your spouse, like, you're stressed out about something. You are concerned, and they're just like, don't worry about it. Some of you guys have that, like, really relaxed spouse that just doesn't worry about anything. You're like, yeah, you're not worried because I'm worried about everything. I'm the one that's stressed and planning all of it. 
And Jesus starts off talking about worry. He just says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Just don't worry about whether you have enough food, whether you have anything to drink. Don't worry about if you have enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food in your body, more than clothing? Look at the birds. I stole this idea from the Bible. Just, you know, again, notice. Uh, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? The birds don't need to wake up worried in the morning because God's got them. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Ouch, this is getting worse. It's like, don't worry. Also, you are worried? Why do you have so little faith? My feelings are getting a little hurt here. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. These thoughts dominate the minds of those that don't believe in Jesus. And for good reason, because a lot of, most of our lives is spent meeting our needs. It's going, I got to go to work and not be late for work so that I get my paycheck so I can pay rent and have a house and I can buy groceries at the store and like, if I drop the ball on one thing, I might starve to death, have no home. Like, what's going to go wrong? It's a normal thing to worry about if you don't believe in Jesus. But something's different. Because if you believe in the God of the Bible, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live rightly, live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. And this is an interesting passage saying, don't worry. Why is Jesus saying in the middle of a sermon, guys, okay, let's spend a minute on worry. Don't worry. The Sermon on the Mount was an interesting sermon because the whole message, this whole talk that probably took a full day, he started off with what were called the Beatitudes, where he took normal mindsets, normal ideas of how to live life, and he said, actually do the opposite. Do the thing that's counterintuitive. You know how normally if somebody's nice to you, you're nice back, and if they're mean to you, you're kind of mean back? Hopefully not you, but, you, but that's normally how people work. It's like, you're nice to me, we're good. You're a jerk, well, don't expect me to be that nice. And then Jesus is like, okay guys, love your enemy. Pray for those that are trying to harm you. And this whole message is a series of things where it's like, this is what's normal, now do the opposite. And he says, it's really normal to be filled with worry. That's how human brains normally work, but do the opposite. And all throughout the path, this message, he keeps saying, the kingdom of God is like this. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it's human life looks like hating those that hate you and loving those that love you. But the kingdom of God looks like loving those that hate you and blessing those that curse you. The kingdom of God looks different than how humans normally live because God created us to live differently. And the kingdom of God that he keeps referencing is saying, is Jesus saying, humanity got off track. 
God created at the beginning to live these amazing lives of work and rest and relationship with each other and with God. But we keep messing it up. And so Jesus' big message was, I'm coming back to bring humans back into living the way that you, we were created to live. But we have to do some things that are counterintuitive to live the way that we were meant to live. We have to start blessing those that curse us. We also have to start relating to our needs a little bit differently. And last week, we looked at um, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is interesting because I don't think that we have it up on the screen, but it starts at verse 9 of chapter 6. And Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's focused on God at first, and it's focused on God's kingdom. And then he says, give us today the food we need. Not for next week, not so we never worry, just for today. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And so he just said, hey, here's how to pray. And then a couple verses later, he's like, okay, I should probably stress you guys out with this. So let's dig into it. So starting at verse 19, Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Don't try to find security by saving up money that the stock market crashes. 2008 happened. Also, I don't know what happened lately, but my stocks have gone down a little bit, what few I have. And they're not coming back up very fast. Don't put your money and your security, don't just try to collect it. You buy a nice new car, it will start to rust. It will start to need repairs. He's like, if you try to store up all your treasure and hold on to everything of value on earth, it's not a good strategy. It's gonna, it's gonna fall apart. Somebody might break in and steal. So instead, store up your treasures in heaven. Nice idea, but how does that work? Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And here it gets confusing. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? And if you're not confused yet, you probably should be. But we'll get there. We'll double back to that. It continues on. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And if you've ever had a job where you have more than one boss, more than one supervisor, it's a nightmare. Maybe you grew up in a family where you had more than one person trying to parent you, whether it's that you had a mom and a dad or whether it's that you had a mom and an older sister. I don't know if you grew up in one of those families where your older sister tried to parent you. You can't keep everybody, if you have more than one person as your boss, you can't keep them all happy. You, you make one happy and the other one you just try to pacify and keep them calmed down. Because we can only serve one thing at a time. Now try this. Try to get your eyes to focus on me and on the screen behind me. 
What's in focus? Am I in focus? Am I, can you see me clearly at the same time as you can see the screen clearly? No. Because our eyes are made so we can only focus on one thing. If you focus on me, then the screen goes blurry. If you focus on the screen, then I get blurry. It's not that I disappear. It's not that I quit existing, but you can't see me clearly. And so when Jesus says, pay attention to your eyes, it's where are you looking? Where's the focus of your life? If you're focusing on money, you're focusing on resources, you're focusing on, I need this, I need to pay rent, I need to get this car so that I don't worry about whether my car will get me to work or not, I need to get this job so that I know that it'll pay for my retirement, I need to, I need to, I need to, and the answer is money. Your eyes are going to be focused on money, and God's going to get a little bit blurry. And what happens when your eyes focus on money and God gets a little bit blurry is really interesting because one thing is the goal and the other thing becomes the tool. Whatever your eyes are focused on is the goal and whatever is blurry becomes the tool to get to the goal. And when your focus is on the money you need to live the life that you need to be comfortable and successful in your own mind, that God becomes a tool to get there. You still go to church. You still are part of a community group. You still serve. You still do all the things that we do as a church community. You can still take communion. But you find yourself, when you go to pray, your prayers sound like, God, I'm really worried about rent this month. Can you make sure that I have the money to pay rent? God, can you make sure I get this job so I can pay for my retirement. And it's not that God doesn't want to provide for those things, but you start to use God as a tool to get there. And then if you're not making rent, or maybe you're like, maybe even like you're giving on Sundays and you're like, man, I'm giving on Sundays. Shouldn't God be giving more money to me so that my finances are working out? You get worried about that and you go, what's going wrong? How am I using the tool of God wrong? Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe I need to read my Bible more so that God will like me and provide for my needs because your eyes are still on the money, not on God. And so you start to use God as a tool to get to money. I've been there. I find myself there all the time where I get worried about legitimate worries as a human. And then I start going, okay, God, I'm going to use you to get what I need. But then if you shift your focus to God, you start to, it changes what you do. When your focus is on, God, I want the life that you created me for. I want to live how you created me to live. I want to seek your kingdom and live rightly as you create humans to live. Then you start to actually use money. You go, okay, the money that I have, how is that there to help me live rightly? The money that's there, how is that it there? How is God providing for the life that he's called me to live. And it changes your focus. And so this image of the eyes is when your eyes are on the wrong thing, it takes, it takes your whole body, it takes your entire life off course. You start to use things that were supposed to be pursued, and you start to pursue things that were meant to just be tools that are used. I think of long before Jesus gave this sermon 2,000 years ago, 
I think about 2,000 years before that, but I'm a little fuzzy on the timeline there, so don't take it too seriously. You can Google it if you want to be sure. But a few thousand years before Jesus gave this message, there was a person by the name of Abraham. There was actually a couple, Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham had an amazing moment, one of those moments that we probably all hope for, of God showing up and talking directly to him. Have you ever been like, God, tell me what to do with my life? Have you ever prayed that prayer of, God, just tell me what to do with my life? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus when you were in high school and you're trying to figure out what to do after high school, and you're like, God, just tell me what to do with my life. Maybe everything fell apart in your life. Your marriage fell apart. Your family fell apart. Your business fell apart. You had to do a reset, and you're like, God, just tell me what to do with my life because this just all fell apart. And you hope that God just shows up and tells you, here's what to do, right? Here's the plan. I don't know if Abraham was praying that prayer, but he got that answer. Back in Genesis um, chapters 15 to 17, I'm not going to read through it. It's a lot, but I'm going to summarize some of the key parts. Abraham has this moment where God shows up and says, here's what to do with your life. You've been a successful trader, but I'm going to take you to a new land. I'm going to take you to a new country. I'm going to establish you there, and you're going to have this country. You're going to be successful. Things are going to go really well for you. This is great news. God's going to bless me right here, right now. Not like, oh, your treasure's in heaven, but your treasure's going to happen here. That's a nice, that's nice news. And Abraham's like, great, but God, there's one problem. My wife Sarah and I, we don't, we don't have any kids. So when I die, all this wealth that you're giving me, all this, it's just going to go to one of my employees. And the wealth is a bit of a problem, but the significance of not having kids to pour into and kids to pass on and knowing that he had a legacy was so important to him. God says, okay, Abraham, don't worry about that. I have this plan for you to go to this new place. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to, but here's what's going to be crazy. I'm going to start a nation from you. Your kids are going to have kids and their grandkids and great-grandkids, and they're going to turn into a nation that trying to count all your descendants is going to be like trying to count the stars in the sky. So trust me, you're going to have a kid. And Abraham tr- seemed to, it says that Abraham trusted God. It seemed like he trusted him for a little while, but eventually he and Sarah are having a conversation. At this point, Abraham's 86. If you know anything about biology, 86 is not a great time to be worried about having kids. But he's 86, and he and Sarah are talking, and Sarah says, you know what? Like, God said, this is my plan for you. This is my plan for your family. But they were worried because they didn't know how God was going to provide what they needed to do what God had called them to do. They felt called by God, led by God. They knew how to live rightly and seek God's kingdom. But then they were worried about, how do we do this? Like, God, we need, a, we need at least one son, right? One kid. And so, so Sarah says, I have a servant. How about you go sleep with her? Make a baby, and we'll start. You can, we, we can make God's plan happen, because God seems to be taking a little too long here. I don't know how he's going to provide, but, but we can make this happen. And so Abraham sleeps with his wife's servant, and she gets pregnant, and believe it or not, that causes a lot of problems in relationships. Sarah's a little jealous that her servant is having a baby that she's never been able to have in her whole life, and they're elderly at this point. 
and it, and so Sarah starts abusing her servant, and it's terrible, and God steps in and says, I care about this. Don't keep abusing my, your servant. And he deals with that. But then he goes, and he shows up again, and he speaks to Abraham, and he says, look, okay, that was a bad idea. I'm going to take care of Ishmael, the son that you had with your wife's servant, because he's a good God. But I'm still going to do what I said the way I said I was going to do it. You and Sarah are going to have a son. Name him Isaac. And now, when Abraham is 100, and Sarah is 90, 14 years after they said, hey, we're going to come up with our own solution, they very, very miraculously have a son named Isaac. And Isaac's Grandsons, 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 more or less. A few thousand years later is Jesus preaching this message. Don't worry about the, your daily needs. God understands what you need to live life. God understands that you need to make rent. God understands that you need to make dinner. God understands that you need to drive to work. Don't worry about that because he has a far bigger call in your life than to just get by and survive. As humans, most of the time, we end up finding ourselves focused on getting by and surviving and then making survival a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more fun. We find ourselves going on cruises. We find ourselves traveling the world. We find ourselves buying big trucks, whatever your thing is, to try to find a little bit more fulfillment and survival. You find yourself planning the biggest family event, not because you actually just want to appreciate the family that you have, but because you want to fill your purpose in life with something that was not created to fill that purpose. Because our life is not supposed to be fulfilled by just our family relationships or just the last trip we went on or the property we own or our investments or our business. That's not supposed to actually fulfill your life. What's supposed to fulfill your life is knowing you get to be a part of what God's doing here on earth to bring all of humanity back into right relationship with him and with each other. These create us to be people that actually provide for those that are starving, that provide for those who can't make rent. He wants to work through us to bring hope and forgiveness in relationships that have been broken forever. He wants us to be peacemakers. But we get so busy being worried about making dinner and making rent that we don't have time for what we're actually created for. So that's why in verse 33 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God. Pursue the kingdom of God. Keep the kingdom of God in the center of your focus. Let your eyes keep the kingdom of God in focus. Focus on that. Focus on God making right what's gone wrong. Letting God be in charge again. Above all else. And live rightly. Don't do whatever it takes to make some money. But live rightly. Work rightly. Take care of your family rightly. 
And God, the same God who started a nation from Abraham and Sarah when they're in their 90s and 100s, he will give you everything you need. That's a, that's a hard ask. It's a really hard ask. But I love what John Mark Comer, he wrote a book called Garden City, talking about work and rest and just and the future and what life is about. And it's a really easy book to read, actually. There's a copy in the lobby if you want one. But he said something really interesting about our perspective and our dreams. John Mark Comer said, if your dreams are all about you, then your dreams are way too small. When the pastor starts speaking too long and you drift off into your daydreams, what do you daydream about? I was really good at that. My dad was a pastor, so I could just tune him right out. He went into pastor voice, I was gone. But when you think about your dreams, what are your dreams about? Are your dreams about you? Are your dreams about the car or the house or the family or the friendship, but is it really just about you? Because if your dreams are all about you, then your dreams are too small. You need to dream larger. You need to dream dreams as large as Jesus' vision of the kingdom. You need to dream dreams of other people experiencing healing, of other people experiencing transformation. You need to dream dreams of communities where people being homeless isn't normal. Where when we drive through our city, we don't just see people living in complete poverty and go, oh, well, they made the wrong choices in their life or whatever reason we give to excuse the fact that we're focused on our own survival, not on what God wants to do here in the city. So here's what I'd say about money. To requote, to change John Mark Homer's statement a little bit. If your financial dreams, what you plan to do with the money you make and what happens in your bank account are all about you, then your dreams are way too small. If your dreams about your money are just how to take care of yourself and survive, then your dreams about money are way too small. Because God is like, I can take care of that any day I want. That's not my concern. You need financial dreams as large as Jesus' vision of the kingdom. You need to dream about having the money to do things that go beyond yourself. We're actually created by God. Jesus tells us that our minds, our dreams, we should be daydreaming about God providing for so much more than just us making rent. And when our minds are focused there, then he will focus on taking care of the details for us. I think of going to Amazon and just how I was like, I don't need to worry. Everything just shows up at the right time. And when you follow Jesus and you say, I'm focused on your kingdom. I'm focused on living rightly. I'm focused on what you want to do through my life. Then he makes sure the other things show up in the right way. And let me be clear there, following Jesus, sometimes what he sees you need is not always what you want. Sometimes there's times when you give your life to following Jesus that he says, yeah, I can provide all the food that you need, but also this week 
you're going to eat a little bit light. Or this week, you're actually going to be dependent on somebody else's generosity. As you go to the store, and you don't have enough money to buy food. There's moments that in my family, we were, I believe that my family had really committed to following Jesus with their lives and giving all they had to Jesus with our lives. But sometimes that meant that the money wasn't there. There are stories of going to go grocery shopping and somebody just saying, God just told me that I need to give you some money. That I need to give you 20 bucks or 100 bucks to buy groceries. And you're like, that's, that's not comfortable. That is incredibly stressful, but that's God saying, I've got you. There are times that those hampers like we made a couple weeks ago would show up at our house because God was like, I'm going to provide for your needs through my community. Focus on following me. But when we let our dreams just get focused on our needs, then we miss out on the life that God created us for. So I want to close by reading and praying with you. Praying with you the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May we be a part of your kingdom coming soon. May your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. As we do that, give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. God, I pray that we live lives not defined by survival, not defined by needs and wants and trying to be a little bit more comfortable as we survive our time on this earth. But that we live lives free of worry as we set our focus on you. We set our focus on the needs around us that you have placed us here to meet. That we live lives focused on you as you do provide for us each day. That we would trust your goodness when you meet our needs in a way that brings us comfort and that we would also trust your goodness when you meet our needs in a way that brings discomfort. I pray that you would bring your kingdom here on earth, that your will would be done here in our church community, in our lives, and in our community, just as it is in heaven. In your name, amen.